Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Picard edition. And today, David and I are in the studio. Here, we are here to discuss the penultimate episode of Picard's third and final season titled Vox. A lot of things to sort through because a lot of things happen. Things that possibly many of us didn't expect to happen. Some good, mostly good. Yes. A lot of reliance on nostalgia. We had that ending with the Enterprise D with all the crew assuming their former positions. Yeah. Which kind of felt a little strange that they all just, all right, I'll sit here at the con. Hey, remember, uh, Picard actually demoted himself from Admiral to Captain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we do have a lot to discuss. Now, if you guys are new listeners out there, Welcome, and you can find all of our shows past, present, and in the future on iTunes as well as Spotify. Those are our preferred places anyways. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck, but we are available pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. You just search from the Holodeck. All right, David, before the ending of our last episode's discussion, we had said that there were three questions going into the final two episodes of Picard's third and final season that needed to be answered. One, why did the changeling steal Picard's body and remove sections that were infected with aromatic syndrome? Two, what is Jack Crusher's part in all of this? And three, who is the villain? All three questions were answered in episode nine, which I didn't expect. I did not expect because they answered all three questions, major questions in the penultimate episode. It's going to leave a full hour next episode to now sort through and address each of these story aspects and bring overall narrative closure to Picard's story and possibly this era in Star Trek. I guess we can still call it the TNG era. So let's just assume assume that we can call it the TNG era still, right? Oh no, absolutely. And if they are looking to get that spinoff series that Metallus was talking about, Star Trek Legacy, then he will have to push those pieces into place too. So yes, we got the answers to those three big questions, but now we need to bring them together and close them out while also pushing forward this idea of optimism and looking to the future with this Star Trek Legacy series. And I do have full confidence in Metallus and his team to do all this. It is a big task to do in about what 45 minutes seems to be the average running time this season per episode. Uh, because the prior episodes, including most of season two, is proof that Metallus and his team of writers understand these characters fairly well. Yeah. And that's the thing is kind of like. We can't. We can't really. Yell and complain at the sky yet, in my opinion, because they've done a very good job up to this point to earning our quote unquote trust 
in that they will land the plane. That they can wrap all of this up because there is a yeah. lot to wrap up, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing is kind of like. Because giving answers isn't wrapping things up. No, Those are two no, no. different things. Giving us full-blown closure in your story is something uh, is more than just here's the answer of like what the story arc is. No, 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 no. Giving answers is the easy part is the easy part. Giving us closure is landing the plane in the show. That's mm -hmm. the term that me and you always have t uh, tossed around in all the shows that me and you have covered and making sure that those answers make sense, makes sense. So now that we have answers, okay, now you got to make it make sense and you only have one episode left to do it. And David, I don't know if this is asking a lot, but with all of these answers, there are a lot more questions and I don't even have, we don't even have time to get in all, to get into all those questions in today's episode discussion. But <laughs> just the idea of the Borg being involved again opens the door for, I want to say a dozen or more questions. Things that have to do with season one, season two of Picard, as well as things from Voyager. Anytime the Borg were involved post Locutus of Borg, there are now lots of questions. Why did the events of first contact even happen if they already had a plan in place to in assimilate plans. everyone? Why try to go back <laughs> in time when you already had a plan in place? Exactly. And this is the problem that I had in the back of my head with the idea of making the Borg the big bad, because yes, one of the biggest, one of the biggest uh, issues me and you have of bringing the Borg in, well, it's the Borg. It's the same thing over and over and over again. But on top of that, bringing in the Borg in bring opens up so many freaking continuity questions that have plagued Star Trek since Day one, the Borg showed up. Well, you know what? David would eliminate <laughs> these types of problems if we just move forward. Exactly. And we, I, I honestly thought in season two, we moved forward with the Borg. Gerardi was here. Didn't we say that? That by, by what they did in season two, it allows us to move past the Borg issue. M move past the Borg issue. Yeah. And like you would think that they that would have done it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not even going to shit all over the good stuff we've got pertaining to the trauma of the Borg this season. Like there's a lot. That we're we're just discussing and 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 analyzing and debating. We're not talking crap. We're not talking crap. We're bringing up very valid questions is kind of like okay, if you bring in say plot A and you expect us to get to the end of plot B, you got to explain the in between. And unfortunately with the Borg, you have plot A, but suddenly there's plot D all the way over there, all the way over there. And you have to explain why plot A with the Borg connects to plot D. The Borg have been tied in Star Trek for so long and, it, and interweaved in a lot of series that, you leave it open for very frustrating misconceptions about the Borg. And then when you see that stuff, then that leaves it open to what? Bad writing. Yeah. Well, and, and we'll get into that stuff towards the end because I want to start, David, our discussion 
focusing on some of those answers that were given yeah. because that's what we know so far. I don't want to harp too much on the things that we don't know until possibly our next discussion when we get to the end and we know that these questions weren't answered, which I know that there's no way they're going to be, be able to answer all these problems. And I want to clue people in on one of our key points so they can get themselves ready mentally, Dave. If this plan to assimilate the Federation, like all human life, more than just human life, take over the Alpha Quadrant, right? If this was their plan from day one, as they had said in this episode, over the course of 35 years, when they have liberated Borg, Janeway herself was assimilated and she assimilated her, she allowed herself to get assimilated, I believe in the episode Unimatrix Zero, in order to liberate Borg drones. Yes. So they were a part of the collective. Seven of Nine was a part of the collective at this point. If this was the plan, and they're of a hive mind. How did no one who was liberated from the Borg not know of this plan? That's one question. <laughs> That's one question. And we'll get into that towards the end of our discussion. Yes. Okay. So I figured the best way to start is to break down the answers to three questions we had posed as I had mentioned at the top of the show, and move from there. But I think most of what we need to talk about are a part of those questions, mm -hmm. or I should say a part of those answers, because one answer leads to a, a wide variety of things that we can talk about. Now, one, why did the changelings steal Picard's body and remove the sections that were infected with Eremotic Syndrome? Okay, so it turns out, Picard never had Eremotic Syndrome, but was actually a symptom of sorts due to what the Borg, upon his assimilation, had implanted within him. And just to keep it simple, without getting all into that techno babble, essentially they altered bits of his DNA with the plan to play the long game when they can use that DNA to then infect others through the use of the transporter. Basically, whenever someone used one of the transporters that had this architecture, it would embed this altered DNA into them, which then would leave them open to be easily assimilated once a transmission was sent from the collective. Yes. Guess what? Dr. McCoy was right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Because remember, what was McCoy's actual fear of the transporter? Being broken down molecule by molecule, what happens to you? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'm like, going, that was cool. Actually, the whole time McCoy was on to something. All time. Dr. McCoy was on to something. Breaking down your molecule, molecule by molecule, just leaves you open to something like that happening. Yeah. Now, David, all of this also answers question two. What is Jack Crusher's part in all of this? Okay. Simply put, Jack is not human, but actually Borg because of the altered DNA passed down from Picard. Yes. And his powers take control of people is because he acts as a transmitter i'm assuming he can only take control of the people who have been infected with the altered dna though which would make sense right that's why he was able to take control of only the younger people the younger people in the crew he never throughout the times he was doing it if you've watched he never really took control of any of the older older crew members yes and now by default this very answer also answers question three. Who is the villain? The Borg Queen has returned. Has returned. 
she just can't stay dead. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Metallus and his writers at the beginning of the season had said this would serve as continuation for TNG era as a whole, which includes Deep Space Nine. And it seems like he did follow through on that idea far more than just superficial aspects, like including the changelings. But it was stated that this plan to assimilate and conquer the Federation through Picard was the plan from the very beginning. So now, in effect, they have recontextualized even the Dominion War that we had seen in Deep Space Nine because they stated in this episode the Borg and the Dominion have been working together from the start. From the start. So over the past 30-some years, this plan has been set in motion even during the events of the Dominion War. And perhaps I'm assuming this was a failsafe, I believe, to make sure they can win. And maybe by that reasoning justifies the events of Star Trek First Contact. (laughs) Yes. So, but this also presents other questions, Dave. Exactly. It seems strange that Girardi's Borg, especially with how advanced they are and evolved, Never had any inkling of what's going on. Yeah. Or uh, even like the one uh, we mentioned it together off the air. What about the Borg that were around like with you since season one? That yeah, Exactly. You mean to tell me they didn't know that this was going on? Now, these issues could also be answered in the next episode. Yeah. They could easily explain that. It will, even though it's a collective hive mind, we know that the queen at times operates autonomously. Yeah. So perhaps this was a plan that was locked away from the rest of the collective so that they can protect the secret. And if that's the case, David, they're going to have to say that in the next episode. That, in fact, they have to say that. They have to Otherwise, say that. it undermines and makes you question everything we've seen of the Borg since. Pretty much everything of the Borg, 80, 85, 90% of the Borg stuff all happened after Lucutus's assimilation or Picard's assimilation. So that question or that aspect needs to be justified and answered in the next episode because then it just unravels the logic of almost every single moment we've seen the Borg. And, and that's the thing that... In an, in another writer's hands, I'd be very, very worried. Yeah. But like Metallus has done such a fantastic job with his writing team up to this point. I actually find myself really frustrated and worried, but also telling myself, wait till the end. Give me the ending. Give me the ending. And then basically then I will judge Metallus and his writing staff and basically say, okay, they did a good job or they did a bad job. It all comes down to how that last episode takes the answers they gave us and fleshes them out further. Because this episode in itself, I think, hurt the overall season for a lot of, a lot of reasons that we're going to get into in a minute. Yeah. Now, the, the nostalgia... And seeing the crew together in Enterprise D, it's hard for any fan of Star Trek not to get wrapped up in the emotion of a scene like that. That's what happened to me the first time I watched the episode. 
And I was like, oh my God, that was an amazing episode. We got to see the Enterprise D. And then I started percolating. Okay, I got to break down this episode. And at first, I got swept away. I will give Metallus props if he created this episode simply to get the member berries in me working. He succeeded. Congratulations. Well, David, just to give people a bit of a hint as to how light this episode actually was and yeah. actual narrative. Exactly. We're done. We're technically done with our discussion for today. Yeah. We're 17 minutes in. There's nothing else to discuss. There's nothing really else to discuss. Really nothing happened except, except those questions that were given to us in 20 minutes. That's why I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> I do have faith in Metallus. I do. I'm going to keep the faith. But I am a little nervous because this episode felt like a long, drawn-out way to get to Enterprise D. And mm -hmm. even as a season as a whole, if you start looking at all the strategies, David, it seems like most of the episode or most of the season was less about the myth arc. And getting us from A to B to C so that we can get answers, you know, a proper narrative mm. and more about how we can get the TNG crew back together on Enterprise D. And I'm not going to dig into the too much and over dissect it, but the listeners at home, they can easily, if they want to, they can start thinking to themselves, looking at all the steps that got us here. And you can also justify and look at this from the opposite perspective, David, you can say, well, that's how you should write. If you want to do something, then you better provide the steps. And I absolutely agree with that. And that's why I can't shit on it because everything that needed to be there to get to this point was there. It was a justified conclusion, but I want the story to be more than just purposes of nostalgia and I wanted to really do something for the world of Star Trek. And when we regurgitate villains like the Boar Queen, where we have now seen or been given four instances of closure on the Borg. And I'm not talking about overall, David, meaning all across Star Trek. I'm talking about just simply Picard's story. Yeah. We were given closure in first contact with the Borg. We were given closure in season one with the Borg of Picard uh, the way Shaban was able to, that was one of the better things Shaban did. I had problems with Shaban's execution. It wasn't the story I had a problem with. The story was fine for the most part. I felt like he didn't understand certain characters in Star Trek, specifically seven of nine, but the narrative itself was a bit messy. The story was fine, but the way it was executed, that's was what messy. I didn't like, but he was able to bring the Borg aspect to a bit of a satisfying end because we know that the Borg are trapped on the other side in, I believe the Delta quadrant, correct? Yeah. In the they're, Delta quadrant by the Voyager. They're trapped over in the, um, I always get, yeah, the Delta quadrant because of the events of Voyager. Janeway had blown up the trans warp conduits and there was no way for them to get to the other side, effectively handicapping them and not making them a vital threat. So we, so with the closure they gave us through Hugh, 
and the the back and forth on I believe they called the Borg cube in the first season the artifact. Is that the, what the Romulans yes. called it? The artifact. The artifact. You had this whole idea of saving and liberating drones, and uh, almost setting up this this allegory that they were the refugees, yes. and that we need to look at them not as former enemies but as refugees, people who need our assistance. Who need our help. And it actually was an interesting aspect of the first season because when Hugh and Picard had that discussion, you can see that Picard realized that he viewed even Borg survivors through a prejudiced lens. And when Hugh offered him that other perspective, you can see that Picard realized he was seeing things incorrectly and unfair. And by that very fact it brought the idea of his hatred to an end and by default then brought closure to this borg traumatic event that picard had experienced then by bringing seven of nine she also had closure with the borg based on season one so then we're like okay there the threat's done it's been brought to an end narratively speaking and also when it comes to our character development then in season two they bring it back but it was okay because of what they were doing with it. It was from a different alternate universe yeah. in the past. I get it. It works, but we used the Borg again. But they also effectively handicapped the Borg again by having Girardi be the queen of the Borg and also want to join the Federation. Yes. Now, here we are again, a third season of Picard, and we worked as if it's a mystery and the reveal that this villain <laughs> is just simply the Borg. It's just the Borg again. And I feel like this really anticlimactic. I was, I will say that I was not happy that the threat was the Borg again, because we've been here, done that. Now, this isn't the same thing as the Klingons with the original Star Trek crew. The difference, because I've already seen these arguments on, on social media. The difference is that Kirk never learned his lesson. His prejudice built and built and built until it hit a peak in undiscovered country. Yes. And with the death of the chancellor and the near assassination of the Federation president, he realized his mistakes. Yes. That was the closure that ended that whole thing with Kirk versus the Klingons. With Picard and the Borg, we've had this repeatedly now. Exactly. And that's the problem. That is the problem with the handling of the Borg because there's no real true closure that we've ever gotten with the Borg. We get these hints of closure, but then, you know, the next writer comes in and says, well, we're going to reopen up the wound again and say, we're going to delve into this about the relationship of the Borg. And you know, the whole thing, the, the and especially since the stuff, when I look back at season three, the stuff that dealt with the trauma of the Borg, you know, Shaw, Shaw's story of Wolf 359, the treatment and the relationship and growth and finality between Shaw and Seven of Nine, because Seven is a Borg. That was good. And it dealt with the Borg. But again, we're getting that thing time and time again. And it's like, all right, we get it. That's this is what happens in a typical Borg story. Can you do something different? Can you do something unique? I mean, 
the way they left off Borg with Girardi, uh, Girardi was actually very interesting. We all liked it. It was a great idea. It was because, a great idea. Because why? Because I felt like it brought an end to the Borg threat. Yes, because it it didn't just uh, give an end to the Borg threat. It evolved the Borg threat now because now you have this other force of Borg that is against assimilation. They don't want to hurt anybody. They actually want to work with everybody instead of actually assimilating them forcibly. They want to actually, you know, they want to wine and dine you before they you. take you over <laughs> before they stick their probes. They, in you. Well, <laughs> they but, want consent before they, they consent. inject you. But like, I remember when that happened, people were like, Oh, this is amazing. You can do a Borg civil war, which would be really cool. And that could be the biggest event to uh, like a, a milestone event in Star Trek to build a series around where it's like in deep space nine, you had the dominion war in the original series. You had the Klingon war and TNG. You had uh, the, the Romulan, uh, the, uh, the Maquis and everything else going on with that. In this, you could have done something really interesting, telling a story about how these two very scary factions are going to cause war and havoc throughout the universe and the federation is stuck in between that sounds cool you took the borg element and evolved it but here it's like okay it's just the another borg story about how picard can't go get over his trauma of becoming lacutus but i wouldn't even say he has trauma anymore i feel like that that's definitely been dealt with what would have made this episode work for me besides the because i'm not going to sit here and pretend i didn't love the Enterprise D. I'm, I'm just, that would be unfair and hypocritical of me. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it was it. awesome. Yeah. But I'm all about the writing. That's just what I, I don't care if they gave me Captain Kirk floating on the back of Spock in this episode. I want good writing more than things that I love like Kirk, Spock, Picard, the Borg, Changelings, Dominion, Cisco, Odo. I want good writing more good than writing. anything. What was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> you worked up about wanting good writing about the Borg. Yeah. So that you had that amazing scene with Shaw that you mentioned, right? Yeah. So the idea that Picard still has to live with this idea that people hate him, that they blame him, even though he was not to be blamed. He's still the, the face. Of he's the, the target. Blame. He's, he's the, target. the easy target that people can point to and say it's all his fault. He's the face of of our destruction. Look, Hudas of Borg. Why didn't we see Picard's reaction knowing that he was essentially the Trojan horse? Yeah. That would have been more powerful than this weird, like, all right, team, let's get together on Enterprise D. Yay, no problems. We're going to take on the collective on a 40 year old ship that's been reconstructed secretly. Uh, by, <laughs> by Jordy Forge during his off hours. During his half hour too, which would make me laugh. It's just, it's, dude, that is, I'm sorry, David. I, it fucking hurts me to say this, but that is the weakest thing. Jordy is the greatest engineer David. of all time, Mike. Come David. on. Come on. The fact that he has been working on reconstructing <laughs> Enterprise D by himself. by himself, which is fucking physically impossible, number one. Not if he has probes, Mike. Not if he has probes. Remember, he told, he said he had probes working around the, the Where is he getting the parts? Like, it's like Starfleet and the Federation be like, listen, you're way fucking over budget for running a museum, buddy. I well, know. Why do you that need was something that cracked me up too. That, that to me was so fucking weak. 
he was secretly building Enterprise D. But because I loved it, I shrugged and said, okay, this is fucking great. But then I started thinking about it even more. I'm like, this is really bad. This is really bad. Now, why didn't they focus on Picard? Yeah. Feeling like a schlub that he's the one responsible, unknowingly responsible for infecting the entire fucking fleet. You know why, Mike? Because they pass off the that story, that narrative of the Trojan horse that could have easily been Picard. It was and, Picard, though. And it moved, was his DNA. Yeah, but you moved it over to Jack. Because yeah. one of the one of my favorite scenes in the episode is Jack's scene with Picard and Jack going over, you know, throughout all his life, he always hated the chaos of the universe. He wanted what something is he, Anakin? Order. Like, that was like an Anakin. It was Skywalker an Anakin moment. Walker moment, but like also taken into context with the narrative between him and his dad we, as Picard. We, listen, David, I'll take his word for it because we've never seen Jack express any of these ideas before. It would have made more sense if we saw Jack's authoritarian designs at some point in the season. I think yeah, that's where that that scene started. You see the chinks in the armor that. Uh, in that armor, but that whole concept of basically being the Trojan horse gets moved over to Jack and that instead of being a really great story with Picard, it's a lackluster story with Jack. Yeah, technically Jack's just a victim. That's why it doesn't work for Jack. Jack's a victim. Yeah. He can't, he couldn't control that. Picard's fucking semen is contaminated. <laughs> fucking semen. Beverly Crusher. Use a condom. How dare you, the dare two of you. you, unprotected sex. This is how STDs happen. Only worse. This is the problem. It's Borg STDs. Borg. I got some of that Borg drips. <laughs> I got the, I got the lacutus bumps. I got I got nano, what are they called? Na I got some nanites in my nanites. in my semen. <laughs> <laughs> and see, the more we think about it, the more stupid it sounds. It's, it, it is. It is kind of. It is stupid. That is kind of silly. I don't know. The transporter stuff is cool. The transporter stuff the, is fine. Because it makes sense based on everything we know of transporters. They yes. have now given us, I want to say, hundreds of episodes about transporter accidents and how transporters hold and store your DNA and that's why it's dangerous at times. They can lose your pattern. In fact, the way they scan for contaminants when they go on away missions, yeah. the transporters are designed to remove to filter. the filter, the contaminants out of the material dematerialized body. And then they rematerializes without those contaminants. Yes. So all of that makes sense. The idea of the DNA thing, I think, is the coolest aspect. I don't have a problem with that. That's actually really cool. The Jack thing and him and him getting the DNA and getting a Borg STD just sounds terrible. Now, also, let's go back to our Star Trek teachings. This is why I say there's a lot of work to do in the next episode. Yes. So Borg has been organically. We have now an organically. An organic Borg, essentially, right? Something Pretty that much. was born. But if you remember the very first time, I believe the Borg were introduced, they had babies. Yeah. They had babies. So if they tie it into that, like maybe that was stage one of their experimentation on giving birth to human-like babies that can then be used to assimilate, I would appreciate that. To me, it would fix some of these weird ideas that feel like they pulled them out of their ass at the last minute. Oh, yeah. That's why 
because one of my one of the one of the old images of mine from TNG that is seared into my brain is the famous scene in the Borg episode when they go onto the cube and they open a drawer and they see a a baby like with all these probes sticking out of yeah. it. Yeah. Is the most disturbing image oh, yeah, of all time. I, yes, it is. And like very unsettling. If they were to uh, harp back on that in the next episode, cool. All right. You 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 get kudo points. You fixed a couple of the scenarios. But that's that was the problem with this episode li- living on exposition because all they're doing is telling us all these things happening, not showing us. They needed to show us. And all the stuff they were they were telling us sounds great. Sounds fantastic. But it would have been better if you showed us and gave us some something organic to actually get behind. And yeah. I agree with you, is like next episode, I'm looking for instead of getting closure, I'm looking for more answers now. That's that, well, that that's a big order. Yeah, I, no, I think you're right. I and that's kind of how we started our discussion, right? Yeah. Today, it was like the answers were given, but now it's about answering and closing, answering the questions that now are you presented with the answers of the other questions. There are now tons of other questions. I mean, as as since you've took us there, let's go right back to it. This is number one. Janeway destroyed the trans trans warp conduits. So this will have to be something that they have to answer in the finale. How do they open up a trans warp conduit? In fact, I believe Metallus himself actually tweeted out about a month ago, answering someone's question about the Borg. The viewer had tweeted Metallus and said, where are Girardi's Borg during this season? And he said that they're off doing Borg things. (laughs) And he said, and the other Borg, from this time period are trapped where Janeway left them. So obviously he knows based on that reply on Twitter from a month ago, obviously he understands the, the, the story aspects from Voyager, which means he's going to have to answer that out of all the questions we have, that will probably be one that is the most likely to be answered. Pretty, yeah. pretty quick in the episode. And it has to be. The, it has to be. Yes. The second big question is if the changelings and the Borg were working with them from the start. Now, besides what I had, the question that I floated earlier in the show about all the other Borg that have been saved. If the, the changelings and the Borg were working together from the start, wouldn't Odo know this? Exactly. It was hard to keep things from others once they merged with the great link. In fact, that was an entire episode the, the moment Odo merged with the great link, he didn't know exactly what was happening. He would be but open he to that. knew that they were hiding something deceitful. Yes. From him. And then upon staying within the great link, he eventually, I believe got the answers. Now we also can say, well, those were different changelings, Right. The, the evolved changeling changelings are an offshoot and they did, they did so, touch on yeah, that. So they could just let that go by. But you think about this though. Odo may not know of the events happening now, but if this was a plan from 30 plus years ago, because the Borg and the dominion had been working together from the start, 
then once Odo merged with the Great Link, he would know of this plan. He would know about Picard and his DNA being altered. Yes. That's a big question. That's a big question. You mean to tell me that basically other people that basically should know about this in the past did not address it. <laughs> like Odo's not going to tell Worf because remember Worf alluded that Odo has been, uh, been kind of like give, feeding him information about the great link this whole freaking time. Let's say Odo has been with the great link for so long that he kind of is evolved and doesn't really care about things because we know that actually happens. We saw, I want to say in between season, I, I want to say six and seven of deep space nine, uh, Kira and Odo quit talking because yeah. Kira was really mad that Odo drank the Kool-Aid and it was because he started merging with the other shapeshifters. And when he did that, he almost lost sight of what was important. Yes. And he lost touch with who he was as, as an individual because he loved being within the link so much that he didn't care about anything else. It was almost like an addiction. So you can say that over the course of 30 years, maybe that happened to Odo. But again, Odo had merged with the Great Link during the time of Deep Space Nine, and he did come back and fight against the Dominion and his fellow changelings, which means he would have shared that information. So that's one big problem. Okay, so final thoughts here, because we're, we're already done. <laughs> and I scary, want, isn't it? Yeah, so overall... The episode as a Trek fan was cool. Yeah. They really went the distance with the whole nostalgia. But whereas the rest of the season had used nostalgia as secondary to story and made sure that all aspects of nostalgia were incorporated seamlessly into story intent, this episode felt like it was designed poorly around nostalgia. Yeah. The Enterprise D was cool, but from a sheerly writing perspective, it was really weak. The motivation was transparent and flimsy, and by the end, it felt seriously contrived because, as I had mentioned, the idea that Geordi was just reconstructing <laughs> Enterprise D. He's the greatest engineer it, of all It just time. Feels, it feels weird. I will say the idea of the connected starships. That's uh, cool. Yes, was floated very early on. And because of that, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. That was thankfully they had introduced that idea way early on. Also, I'm just overall, I, I suppose disappointed in the actual writing and structure of the episode, the opening 25 minutes. And even the people who disagree with me right now, they should go back and watch those opening. You can't, you can't disagree with this. You may disagree with my opinions and views, nostalgia versus story intent. But this is a technical thing that is there. Yes. The opening 25 minutes was the worst exposition dump we have ever been given in anything Star Trek. No rationalist endeavors to uncover the truth. It was just simply time to tell the audience literally everything. I had thought we were going to get like a good 10, 15 minutes of this psychedelic exploration into Jack's mind. Yes. And we would slowly be given clues. Instead... Troy opens the door and the Borg are there. <laughs> and you just see a cue. And then she knows everything. Yes. And then she shares that information. It was just simply given to us that there should have been more of a 
I guess you can say a ratiocination flare, you know, a process of discovery as opposed to just giving us the answers and a feeling of challenge. Yes. There has to be some kind of conflict and some kind of challenge to earn that information. I have a, a, a big pet peeve of mine, a big problem I have when it comes to certain writing is when you have a show. Okay. For example, Battlestar Galactica. I don't want to spoil anything if you never watch that show, but there is a super secret that's embedded into the show from the very start. And I believe the answer is given to you. I want to say in season four, this really big answer. They didn't just say, all right, it's time to tell you. These are the, 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 the five was it the five Cylons? The five Cylons. The, yeah. the remaining five. Who were or, the five? Yes. Okay. That was the big mystery. It wasn't like, all right, it's time to tell you. So here, this is who they are. Surprise. They made you work for it through the entire fucking episode. Yes. They gave you clues. They designed all the sound. They literally gave you sound design, musical cues. Everything was there so that when all of a sudden you were not told, they literally showed you and you're like, Oh my God, my mind is fucking blown. I do not believe that we got to this point and you never even said a word. You just fucking designed your entire episode to take everything from the previous seasons and make it work to give us this reveal. Yeah. That's what I like. And that's how you should do reveals. It isn't reveal when you just tell us the answer. Exactly. In my mind, the writers are like, all right, we're going to hold the secret until episode nine. And then we're just going to tell them. Exactly. Precisely. Because and, and like, that's not good writing. That's not a twist. Mm -mm. That's not a reveal. That's just exposition. Yes. And that's the difference between knowing how to properly do a reveal and doing an exposition dump. A lot of people think using an exposition should be the way to do your type of writing. I have to explain this. Here's an exposition. It is, it, it is basically one of the biggest things in writing that you, we are, everyone's taught in writing school. Show us, don't tell us. Show us. If I can piece together it, if you can let the audience piece together the pieces by themselves, that is good writing. And I'll be honest, season three, you've had good writing. You've had good, hey, audience, follow us along here, follow us along. And we're, this is the worst episode of the season Which is because sad of the writing. Be because it shouldn't be. Because of Enterprise D, because of the actual reunion on that bridge, it shouldn't be the worst episode of the season. It should be the best episode of the season. And that's why I'm so fucking frustrated because as a Star Trek fan, I want to love it. But from a critical standpoint, I can't love it because it was really, it was really poor. Now, just backtracking just a bit, Dave, I'm still on my final thoughts here. I'm going to tack on to this reveal aspect and not working towards anything, mm -hmm. but there's a, there's even a worse aspect to this. The answers that were just given to us were given to us by characters in the show who five seconds before had no idea what was <laughs> happening. And I'm not joking when I say five seconds before, I'm not even exaggerating five seconds before Picard is doubting any of this. Five seconds later, he's suddenly in the next scene spelling it out all, spelling out in detail everything about the implant. The, what do you say? Something about a seed? Yeah. It was put in him. It was put in him by the Borg. But 
five seconds prior, he was doubting it. I had eremotic syndrome, but now he has every answer and not just an assumption. It's detailed information. Mm -hmm. There was a moment when Picard didn't know anything. And then he knows all the details. It was poorly plotted. Next big problem was the use of the Borg again. As I had said, this is now the third time the Borg Third or fourth time, the Borg were used to bring what appeared to be closure to Picard's story. First contact, then Shaban brought a certain resolve to Borg with the cube that the Rhymelins had and where Hugh had, as I said, this conversation with Picard. Seven was also used to strengthen that closure. Yes. Then with Girardi's Borg, it seemed like their evolution would undermine any potential threat from the contemporary Borg. But with the Borg wanting to join the Federation, it seemed clear it was time to move on. And overall, David, this is the problem with modern entertainment. When fans complain that the studios do things wrong, they do things wrong partially because of their own shitty talents. Not hubris. Gonna, I am their own not going to take away their blame. But I also blame the fans because they refuse to accept new things. And because of that, we continue to get things that reboot remake recontextualize and we never truly move on and that's why star trek in another 10 years is going to be dead yeah because there's only so long so much so many times you can keep using picard and captain kirk Mm -hmm. and spock and that's all we ever it seems when i say we i'm speaking for all star trek fans it seems like for the most part that's all we want we shit on discovery when Discovery was them trying to do something new. So much so that it gets canceled. And I'm not going to take away some of the blame that also goes to the Star Trek Discovery writers. They made a lot of mistakes early on. That set a very bad tone. But David, this is the problem with postmodern entertainment. Postmodern entertainment is just regurgitation. And the reason why is because that's all fans want. They want the same thing over and over. And this is the answer to that. You guys want the same thing over and over. We tried to do something in season one, and this is where it gets complicated because they did try to do something different in season one. The problem is they didn't have a good writing team in season one. The execution was bad. So they're like, ah, people, you know, shat all over season one. Well, let's uh, do something different in season two. Ah, shit. People shat all over season two which was written a thousand times better. All right, well, we, we didn't do well, so let's just redo and give them exactly what they've been wanting. Let's just do TNG again. And the Borg. <laughs> and the Borg. So even though I've enjoyed this season, it just hurts my soul that we can never fucking move forward. Bring the TNG crew back together. Fine, do it. But why couldn't we at least be given a new villain? Or a villain that none of us really expected. Yes. It's just disappointing. Uh, David, on that note, I'm going to give this episode an 83% on the RMD score. I'm with you there. I'm actually, I gave the, 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 the episode probably the lowest score of the season for me. This just because of how I hate exposition dumps. And I, well, ver- I can verify with you that basically 25 minutes and 30 minutes, 30 minutes of the show I, I actually wrote was nothing but exposition. And just like you said, characters just basically 
miraculously coming to this realization of certain answers without us show, seeing it. Now, they all became the, experts at the end. Well, Even Worf Pipe did. Yeah. And here was the thing. I, I, I could understand if someone, a fan is looking at me going, well, they explained the problem so they'll know the answer. Yes, that is true. That is how logic works. However, you need to see logic in action. The problem, the, 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 the scene that Mike explained to our audience right now, Picard was in doubt five minutes ago. Five minutes later, he's telling Jack that, oh, this is all Lacutus's fault because he put this seed in me. Five <laughs> minutes ago, you were saying that basically you doubt this. How did you get from doubt? to all of a sudden acceptance and knowing all answers. And, and you didn't show us, you didn't show us Picard coming to acceptance of that fact, but that's so the, see, David, do you see that's the problem when you do exposition problem. dumps? When you dub, that is why I hate exposition <laughs> because if they had made us work towards these answers, then we would have learned everything at the same time as the crew. So that when they do share this information with other people, we would say, yeah, they know because we followed them we followed through them. this investigation. Yeah, it's it's counter it's counter product. It, it's counter parallel to the prior episode we had where the crew comes together and basically in the very end, they have their moment of getting together and basically saying, you know, this is what's been going on. And then it leaves on the cliffhanger. We move on to the next chapter, which is. Troy needing to actually dig deeper to find the big bad through Jack. Okay. But you know, the beautiful thing about that episode was like, we followed along with them and we didn't jump to assumptions. There was always an explanation of what what's happening and we're seeing it in action here. It just felt like the pacing was off from the get go because it suddenly slam it into warp warp factor five and then just go all the way to the very end because we need to get you guys on enterprise in the most ramshackled way I've ever seen. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I agree with you, Mike. I love that scene. That scene had me giddy. It had me teared up as a fan, just watching them hearing Picard say my favorite, you know, was the thing I missed most was the carpeting. And it, 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 it like broke the ice and I was like, going, oh my God, that is such an awesome line right there because it's like, it's, it, it showed that crew so human in this, in this setting, the setting of the enterprise, the, br the, the bridge and, but getting there was so ramshackled because it was like, yeah, just as you alluded, apparently Jordy LaForge is the greatest engineer of all time. And can work miracles as a one-man ship crew, apparently. <laughs> and, you know, the thing I'm worried about now, bringing the Enterprise back, you mean to tell me this ship that is considered a museum piece, it is 30 years old technology, it is old, it is going to do better than the technology 30 years better than itself. It's a little going to be a little hand fisted. If I see next episode, the enterprise flying all over the fleet and blowing up all the ships and destroying the Titan and everything else. Yeah. Because it's going to be so unbelievable. So I wonder what other characters they'll bring back at the end just to shoot him in five seconds. Shoot like him Shelby. in five seconds. Yeah. Shelby or like, 
stuff like that. I was a little perturbed about that. Dude. However, Metallus and his crew, as I read it, uh, as I have I stated before, they've earned my trust at up to this point. No, I agree, and that's why I'm not having a meltdown. I'm not having a meltdown. But yet. if but if they fuck up. I'm having a meltdown next episode. It is the one thing that I've always told you, Mike. I'm warning everyone right now. There will be a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm telling you this right now, Mike. Me and you have stated this from the get-go in all the shows me and you have covered throughout the years. When it comes to a show, it's about sticking that landing. Land the plane, please. That's all you got to do. So my score is actually lower than yours. I went to an Jesus 80. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah, wow. because like the I thought I mean, about listen, it. I don't disagree. I was going to do 80, but I said, you know what? There were so many. I I allowed my emotion and my love for TNG to boost it up a bit. And I did that. Normally, I would never do that. But I did that out of fairness just because the show is being built around nostalgia. And because it's a component within the show, it therefore is open to... um critical praise or criticism criticism because it is a component of the show and that's why i said okay well i'll let that to i'll allow that to be a factor in my percentage yeah and i want to tell that right now people who are listening to our show saying oh they hate the episode 80 percent is still good <laughs> yeah, it's eighty percent is better than some other shows that me and Mike have covered throughout the years. Yes, and I even enjoyed this episode, but critically, it 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 got under my skin. There are a lot yeah. of problems with the actual script of the episode. Now, David, I have a point that I want to bring to your attention. Oh, or I should say, not a point, but uh, a topic. <laughs> and I want to leave this open for debate. We'll, we'll talk about it for a few seconds, but we don't have much time. Okay. There is an individual that writes for IGN that is praising the last episode. And a lot of it has to do with his, this idea of committing to nostalgia. Okay. This is the headline. Patrick Stewart had to be wrong for Picard to succeed. It pains me to say this, but Patrick Stewart was so wrong about Star Trek Picard. Like somehow all of his instincts I feel like I, I, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel here, reading anything. Well, you're reading IG that starts <laughs> where a sentence starts with like, <laughs> like, comma. Somehow, all of his instincts about how to bring Jean Luc Picard were just off. I want to say they weren't, but just sit tight. But it was only those missteps and the lessons learned from them that have allowed the show to finally succeed now in Picard season three. Listen, I love Stuart, like love him, but he got it pretty, pretty wrong when he decided to bring back Picard, which ironically enough has turned out to be a good thing for the show in its final season. I don't believe he used ironically correct. Uh, it, all, <laughs> it all boils down to one thing. If you're going to do the nostalgia play, you got to commit. And Patrick Stewart did not commit, at least not for the first two seasons. After saying goodbye to the character in Star Trek Nemesis in 2002, the actor would spend the next 15 years having to answer questions about whether or not Picard would be back one day. Cut to late 2017, early 2018, Star Trek Discovery had relaunched the franchise on the small screen, and executive producer and new Star Trek overlord Alex Kurtzman was trying to convince Stewart to come back as Jean-Luc for a new show. Of course, the actor would eventually agree to return, but only under certain conditions. 
And I believe we had talked about these conditions on our first season discussion. Yeah. And it was those conditions that would lead to big problems for the show. This is where I disagree. Two of Stewart's original demands may not seem like much at first glance, but they would have a snowball effect on the trajectory of what would become Star Trek Picard. Patrick Stewart on Graham Norton in 2020 said, no uniform and no enterprise, no uniform and no starship enterprise. That basically means no Starfleet, right? So taking that to its natural conclusion, it also pretty much means no next generation and no cast from the next generation. Indeed, Michael Shaban, the Pulitzer Prize winning novelist who was a writer and EP on season one of the show, Pulitzer Prize winning novelist, that is not really something you want to put into a discussion point for a television writer has no bearing. It has no bearing. And you're talking about Michael Shaban. (laughs) He said in 2020 that the plan was designing the series was that it was not ever going to be the next generation part two, which sorry, Michael, but Picard season three is now 100% the next generation part two. Ultimately what Picard was missing all this time was the crew that helped make the character, the icon that he is. I completely disagree with everything he has said. The idea of no uniform and no enterprise is fine. As long as you're dealing with the world of Star Trek and you're adhering to the ideology of Gene Roddenberry and his views of Star Trek, you don't need to have the enterprise and you definitely don't need the rest of the crew for a show called Star Trek Picard. When it was designed to be a show about a character 30 years later in his old age in retirement and what he has become yes, and how he has dealt with his life and how he is dealing with being essentially isolated from his friends and his duties and his um, notoriety as a respected admiral and captain and now dealing with a little bit of stigma because he went against the Federation because he wanted to save the Romulans. That all worked. That's a cool concept. That's a cool concept. The only thing, and this is why I I just, I don't understand why people can't understand this. It wasn't the concept. It was Michael Shaban's writing. That's the problem with the show. The show, he's trying to say that the reason why the first season didn't work because it, it was a different show than what it is now. That's like saying deep space nine only worked because it wasn't Voyager. I'm like, you're comparing two different shows. Comparing two different shows. Yeah. Of course, deep space nine isn't good or not good because of Voyager. The two have no bearing on each other because they're two different things. Star Trek Picard season one was supposed to be something completely different. It was not supposed to be a next generation show. Yeah. So you're trying to say that the reason why it failed was because it wasn't a next generation show, but that wasn't the concept. So if you want to say it failed, you got to base it based on what they were trying to do. And that is the writing. It comes down to the execution, not the story, the how they executed that story. That's why the season didn't work. I even said this, didn't I say this going into our season three discussion that, that I feel like they gave up on trying to make Picard work as a show so they brought in the next generation and I was even kind of uh, cynical yeah. going into season three. I'm like, okay, let's see what they do now that they gave up on their original concept and 99% of it is excellent except for this last episode, of course. So why this season is working is not because you're including 
next generation. I feel like it's working because a, the writing is better than season one. And you also cheated by bringing in all the next generation people, people because most people aren't watching for good writing because they obviously don't see it. Sometimes they feel it, but they don't understand it. So what they see is all their favorite faces. Yes. So they think it's good based on that. Not because the writing is excellent because that's the reason why we're giving 98% and 96% all season. Not because we're seeing Brent Spiner, not because we're seeing LeVar Burton, Marina Sirtis. That's not the reason why. Yeah. It, we're, 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 we're giving this season high marks because the writing is good. The writing. So this guy's entire reasoning and logic for why the season is good is, is wrong. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this is the problem with our current state of entertainment. This guy's argument is he wants more of the same. He's a star Trek bro. He wants more of the same. And that's why it's good because they're giving us more of the same. Yeah. Star Trek cannot live by doing the same thing over and over. Right now it's working, but in five, six, 10 years, this isn't going to work again. You have to stop. You have to move on. You have to create new characters that we can rally behind. And the one character that they included in this season that we could have rallied behind, they killed. I'm telling you right now, Mike. Which was Shaw. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. I believe that we as a network need to develop a shirt that is now my saying for every show I'm on because I have harped at you and this on every single fan show that we have. The one element that will ruin everyone's fun is the fans. Fans ruin everything. Fans that can't see past their own fan wants. This IGN and IGN is infamous for it. IGN is infamously written by fans and stuff like that. This article right here is an explanation per, per example of like why the fans need to just go away. They need to shut up. (laughs) Wow. They ruin everything. Fans ruin everything. They've ruined wrestling. They've ruined star Wars. They've ruined star Trek. (laughs) They ruined fun. Right. And, and like in years past, it didn't matter as much because everyone has a megaphone now because of social media and they can bypass all barriers and go straight to the writer himself and say, you fucking suck, dude, blah, 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 blah. And you don't think that gets in their heads. You don't think, you know what? These guys are hating me. I, I can't, I can't be hated. I, I this, listen, the strongest willed person this would take a toll on them. Yes. I don't give a fuck what people think, but if I was on social media, you would be hammered. People were saying, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I would, I, it probably, I would probably react the same. I'm like, okay, well maybe I should do that. Maybe I should bring back all these people because I would start doubting myself. And because I don't want to doubt myself, you know what I do, David, I would turn off social media and never go. (laughs) Exactly. And it goes to like what you said, is like the problem with fans is they do not like change. They don't want anything different. David, am I out of line here? Like, have I, am I being over dramatic or are you be, be honest? No, you are not being overly dramatic. You thought a long time there <laughs> because I wanted to actually make sure that our audience doesn't get offended to what I say next is because don't get me wrong. I love our audience. 
And yes, our audience is our fans. And probably the ones that are listening to us probably tend to agree with us. Tend too. to agree but, with yeah. us. And, but we also have to understand that basically uh, the reason why I say this is because if the fans were allowed to just get every, uh, get the same old, same old that we're all comfortable with. You don't get any new ideas. Well, David, you want to know what show is doing that currently and the fans still hate it because they they loved it for one season. They loved it for a second season. And now the third season, they're finally realizing that the show is doing nothing but giving you the same things over, over and over and over. And, over. Again. and you know what show that is? What? The Mandalorian. Exactly. Fans loved it the first season. They loved it the second season. Then Book of Boba Fett came around and it, Suddenly turned the light on. Turned the light on. And they realized something's not right here. They turned on the light and here the roaches showed up. <laughs> and then comes third season of Mandalorian. And now it seems to be universally hated by a lot of people. Now, now they're still the, the, the devoted people, but a lot of people now have turned off the TV because they're like, this show is just like two nerdy Star Wars fans taking action figures and bashing them together. Yes. And you know who's to blame for that? The Star Wars fans who demanded the same things the same that we've things seen before. Time and time again. So I don't want Star Trek going down that path. No, I don't. I, I agree. And that's why it's a shame that Discovery's being canceled because I felt like Discovery was a legitimate future to moving forward. Yes. I love Strange New Worlds. I absolutely love Strange New Worlds. But what is it doing? It's living in the past. It has to. It can't, it, it, it has to live in the past though. That's the well, problem I, with strange I new worlds. understand that because you're dealing with Pike, you're dealing with Spock and this is all pre captain Kirk. You have to deal with the past. You have to deal with but it. But the concept itself is based on giving fans what they wanted because they don't like anything new. Yeah. And I'm not attacking the fans. I understand. I actually do, but this is the constant inner battle I have every day. Between fan and logic. <laughs> I love Captain Picard and Bert Spiner and, 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 Bird and Michael Dorn. I have, I'm a fan too. I, I would be hypocritical to sit here and say that I don't have these desires as well, but I also want Star Trek to survive. Yeah. And I also realized that we had seven seasons of TNG and four movies. And plus this is what makes this show, Mike, is what separates fans from honest, uh, honest critics. That's the thing. If you are listening to this and you're saying, man, these guys are hard on Star Trek. No, we're looking at this seriously and basically telling you guys, because not a lot of people out there understand why is this bothering you? Because you do, not a lot of people understand about, Hey, story patterns, pacing, exposition, how to execute something. They just immediately say it's bad. You know what <laughs> are the two boldest iterations of Trek over the last 30 some years? And people are going to disagree. The space nine. Yeah. And discovery. Discovery has a lot of problems. I'm not saying it's perfect, but at least they tried to do something different. The first season, they didn't learn their lesson. Let's have Spock. Let's have Sarek. Let's blah, blah, blah. Spock's sister. We're going to be in the past. But then they realized, fuck, 
fans don't like what we're doing anyways. So let's jump a thousand years and try to do something fresh and unique. And since then, those two seasons, two, I'd say even season two was a lot better. But season two was a bridge to get to season three and season four. If we didn't have the events of season two, we wouldn't have season three and season four and where they are chronologically speaking in universe. Yeah. Now they're doing things that we've never seen before. And that's why I enjoy discovery despite some of the problems I have with it, because at least they're trying to be new and fresh. They're blazing new trails. Can get into that as to why it did work in order to strengthen Gene Roddenberry's. But that's for a whole other discussion. That's a whole. I, I feel other like discussion. by undermining things, you actually can strengthen it by how you end it and proving why certain things work and why they should be the way they are. But yeah. before you can do that, you have to deconstruct it, and that's what D Space Nine did, and that's what Discovery has attempted to do. Not as effectively as Deep Space Nine, but they have attempted to do that. Yeah. So. No, I'm not bashing fans. I get it. I understand. But we also have to understand as fans that if we want Star Trek to survive, we have to be, we have to accept new things. We have to move on. We have to move on. But here's hoping that basically the final episode moves on. I was hoping we didn't have this type of discussion this season, David. I really wanted one freaking Star Trek season to go by this Kurtzman era where we didn't have an episode where we, you know, discuss the, the woes the woes of Star Trek. Yeah, it's but it's not. But th- by far, this isn't a negative episode either. No, it's but it, but it, there are some red flags. There's and, red flags. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Now it comes down to land the plane. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have gone on way too long. Let's end the show. Thank All right, you everyone. Hopefully, we still have people listening. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.